our sermon this evening. We'll be looking at that chapter from Ezekiel chapter 15. Ezekiel chapter 15. And the title for this message under looking at this text of Ezekiel chapter 15 is No Escaping God. There's no escaping from God. Recently, I was listening to a video. It was speaking about the difficulty young people had getting jobs. One of the things that this uh, video, this person who was involved with recruiting and getting people jobs was, uh, they were very hard to get people jobs because people kept changing what they were doing. And people struggled to stay in the one form of work for a long <coughs> period of time. So when somebody comes to you, that you'll see them and you, you look through and you look at the CV and well, there's been a lot of changes here. And I think our generation, perhaps we struggle with staying, with enduring. Perhaps we struggle with staying in a place for longer as needed. When many of us were growing up or years ago, there were not many options for jobs or different things like that. I say all this because perhaps we see a generation where we want to escape. Maybe we want to run away from our problems more than previous generations. Now, Let's think about this spiritually, spiritually, and spiritual trouble and spiritual problems dealing with the fact that God is righteous, God is holy, God is omnipresent. Because we live in a society today that does not want to think about the trouble it is in spiritually. It is hard even to have a conversation with people about religion at all. Is it possible people think that they can escape God? People act like they can run away from God, that there's some place that they can go and avoid God. Now, this is nothing new. We saw this very early in human history. Adam and Eve fell. They hear the voice of God, and what is the first thing that they do? They hide. They hide. You see this in Genesis chapter 3. How can anyone think that they can escape from a pure being who is omnipresent? He is everywhere. You could drive a million miles that direction and you cannot escape God. You could go into outer space and still not escape God. But with our sin, our fallen nature, we think we can escape God. Remember Jonah. Jonah's called to Nineveh. Does he want to go? No. He does not want to go. He runs. He flees, it says, from the presence of God. But it's an impossibility because our God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. How could he possibly think he could avoid God? It doesn't really make any sense, does it? But our sin can make us think that we can. How about you here this evening? Do you think you can escape God? 
Perhaps there's a place in your life, maybe you're a follower of Christ, you're truly converted, you love the Lord, but maybe there's an area of your life you are kind of running from God. You are in some way fleeing from God. Because in our sin, and sometimes when we have areas of sin in our life, we can think and live and act like we can escape God. But the warnings of God have nothing to do with you. Perhaps we can think because of our family history. Maybe you've been Christians for many generations that you can escape the warnings of God. Or maybe you think you're a good person because you've been coming to church for so many years that you can escape the warnings of God. We live in a generation that wishes to run away, run away from everything that would remind them of God. We see this everywhere. We live in a generation that is so against God, they, des- they deny the obvious truth that there's male and female. That's attempting to run away from reminders of the handiwork of God. To run away from responsibilities, to not follow them. But dear friends, when we do that, we attempt the impossible. So, we're going to look at this text here this evening, Ezekiel chapter 15. And the first point we're going to look at is this picture, pictured. Um, We often struggle, don't we, to see our folly, to see our error. And Ezekiel, well, it's God giving to Ezekiel this image, this picture showing what Israel, the people of God, are doing. What they're doing. And it says here in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 15. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, what is the vine tree more than any tree? Or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest? Shall wood be taken thereof to do any work? Or will men take a pin of it to hang any vessel thereon? Sometimes we see things more clearly in a picture than we do just be being told we're doing something wrong. To illustrate what happens when we think we can flee from God. Now it's, it's wonderful here. The, the phrase son of man is used many times throughout the book of Ezekiel. And it shows in a lot of ways how frail, how frail Ezekiel is. Son of man. Psalm 8, 4, it says this, What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. And the Psalm 8 is basically saying, How come this great and wonderful God is coming down to man? But we all have to consider a creaturely lowliness. That we are the creature and God is the infinite, the infinite creator. Verse 2 says this, What is the vine tree more than any tree? Which is greater? Have you ever seen those vines? In, if you ever travel in Europe, the vine tree. And if it has no fruit on it, how strong is that wood? Or any other tree of the forest? Which is stronger? Sometimes when I go to people's houses, one of the first things I notice if they read, it's not even the books sometimes I notice, it's the bookshelves. And I'm very curious, what kind of wood is it made of? Is it strong? Is it weak? And 
Often, the difference between a good bookshelf and a bad bookshelf is skill, but it's the wood. The strength of the wood. Is it pine wood? Is it chipboard? What has more strength? And the stronger the wood, the more things it can be used for. Some wood is more expensive than other woods. It lasts longer. Now here we have vine, a vine tree. A vine wood is too weak and brittle to be used for anything. It's too brittle. It will break. It says, or than any branch, verse 2, which is among the trees of the forest. Ask the question, shall wood be taken thereof, this is from the vine tree, to do any work? Or will men take a pin of it to hang any vessel thereon? It's basically like saying, can, I even, can I, something small be hung off of it? What strength does the vine have compared to any other tree of the forest? No, it is weak. And what's the picture God is trying to show the people in captivity? At this moment in time, Ezekiel, among a number of others, are in captivity. Ezekiel is warning them that once she displayed great beauty as a fruitful vine, but she, Judah, is now seeking her own way, seeking to escape God. Now she is brittle. Now she is weak. Weaker than any of the nations around her. She thinks she's strong in her own self. She does not realize how weak she is. Do you see the picture, friends? It is a warning for those who seek their own way. You're not as strong as you think you are. And the church can never outgrow its dependence upon God. It can never outgrow or seek to escape the rule of God, the biggest danger the church makes and the biggest mistake the church seems to keep making is going away from the rule of God toward the supposed wisdom of men. It's a tale that has been seen time and time again. One of the biggest ways this can be seen is innovations in worship. Going away from what God has commanded and bringing in what man wants in the place of it. The vine wood is so weak it cannot do anything. This is the picture here. Shall it be taken thereof to do any work? No. The answer is no, it can't do any work. It is, if you attempt to do the most basic of tasks, it will break. And that is us without God. We are brittle of ourselves. We are finite. We are of the dust. And we forget that so much. And the more we see it, I'm convinced it's one of the reasons why we're called to fast and pray in times of crisis. Because in times of fasting, one of the things you see is your weakness. You ever notice that your body feels so weak? It helps to pray because you actually see yourself as helpless. Without God. The vine is weak. It is brittle. And if we are without fruit. And this vine. Dead. And trespasses and sins. It says this in Jude. Verses 11 and 12. Jude 11 12 and 13. Woe unto them for they have gone after the way of Canaan. 
and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for a ward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. And listen what it says here in Jude. Jude writing on the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of seas, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars to whom is, deserved, is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And this, these are people who seeked, who sought to escape God. So this picture at the beginning is to show us our frailty, to show us how brittle and weak we are. We need God. So this brings us on to our second point, which is power. So it's pictured here, and now where does the power lie? Number two, where does the power lie? For the vine to produce what is meant to produce, how can we do that? The vine tree, without God, can it produce fruit? Verses 4 and 5, behold, it is cast into the fire for fuel. This is what happens to the vine. The fire devoureth both the ends of it and the midst of it is burned. It is meat. Is it meat for any work? Is it suitable? Is it fit for any work? How can we produce fruit? Again, this fruit does not save us. But signs of life in a vine, you see fruit. You see evidence of fruit. And how can that vine tree that would produce anything it must be in the vine it must be in the vine we can't be independent branches on our own it says in john chapter 15 john chapter 15 we're just going to turn there briefly so john chapter 15 verses 1 to 2 this is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth, that it may bring forth more fruit. Also, verse 4 of John 15. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. So as weak, frail, brittle vines that we are, we need to be in the vine. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We need him. That is where the power lies, enabling. We need the Holy Spirit. See, the danger is, friends, we can think in times in our Christian walk, we are the source of our own blessings. It's my hard work that has brought us this far. Not at all. God has given us the strength or the skill or whatever it is by his sovereign hand to enable us to do anything we've done. You see, we have been made to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We have been made for good works. And if we're in the vine, good works will come forth. Some a little and some a lot. The fruit is not the root. 
The root and the ground is the work that God does in our hearts. The fruit is the evidence that something wonderful has happened in your heart. What does the fruit tell you? That there's life. There's life. This is not a dead branch. Yes, we are weak and feeble. Yes, we are brittle. We're no stronger than any of the other nations. That is the world out there. They can be, in their own way, a lot of them are stronger. There's this picture of the wood. And some of them are pine trees. Some of them are different things. They're stronger than we are. We are weak. But doesn't God choose the weak things of this world? Doesn't he choose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise? Because it brings glory to his name. And we rejoice in that, showing that he is the power behind anything that we can do. There is no escaping our need upon God. No matter how long you've been saved, you will never escape your need of God. That might sound so obvious, but we so often forget this. We can, we can get into times in our Christian walk that we forget that in order to do anything, we need the power of God. What happens to a house if the, if the power is cut off? It's in darkness. And you may be going through some darkness in your Christian walk. Perhaps you need to spend more time with the Lord. Perhaps you're trying to do too much in your own strength. It is time, dear friends, to look to him, to find rest in him. So pictured power, number three. Now we're going to look at pruned, pruned, number, th number three. Verses three down to verse five. We're going to look at verse five as well. Behold, when it was whole, it was meat for no work. How much less shall it be meat for you? How much less shall it be meat yet for any work? When the fire hath devoured it, and it is burned. And we see this picture, and it's used in many parts of the Bible. What happens to the vine that is no more good for any work? It is no strength. It is burned. It is dead. It is weak. It is firewood. And we spoke about this this morning. That if something has no it isn't doing what it's made to be. And this is why you will see so many people who follow sinful lusts are miserable. Because they're not doing what they've been made to be. We've been made in the image of God. And as part of God's image, we're to glorify him and enjoy him forever. We don't keep things in our home, do we? that do not do what they're supposed to do. And there's going to be, at the end of the world, a pruning, a removing of those people who may be outwardly, they may appear like it's fruit, but God knows the heart. God knows the heart. I'm turning again to John chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. John chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, because this speaks much of the vine. John chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. I am the vine, Jesus said. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. 
For without me you can do nothing. For if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. They are burned. Much of this happens in the visible church at the end of the world. There will be on one side the sheep, and the sheep follow the shepherd. And then the other side will be the goats, who do not wish to follow the shepherd. However, this can also be exposed within time, before the end of the world. Sometimes you see pruning from the vineyard before the end of the world. And for the, uh, for the visible church, these can be very, and are very, very difficult times. They're very painful times when somebody visibly walks away from the church. And you think, I was so convinced that this person was a believer in Jesus Christ. Why did they do that? They wish to escape the rule and reign of Christ. They would not have Christ to reign over them. They didn't want Christ. But some will wonder, did they they lose their salvation? Were they once saved and now they've lost their salvation? Not at all, friends. Not at all. If they were once, if they were ever true believers, God will never let them go. Friends, they went out from us, for they were not of us doesn't mean that they can't be brought back in by the power of God. But sometimes this pruning will happen. And ultimately, the Lord is purifying his bride. It will usually happen in times of persecution. Many people will not stand for the Lord. And it will surprise you sometimes. We don't know what's going on in people's heart. Many people have never been truly born again. Some will... Just backslide and come back to the Lord and ask the Lord's forgiveness. But these can be painful times of pruning. In Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Verses 16 and following. Romans chapter 11. From verse 16. For the first fruit be holy. The lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches and if some of the branches are broken off and thou being a wild olive tree wert grafted in among them and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree boast not against the branches but if thou boast thou bearest not the root but the root thee and then verse 20 of that chapter well because of unbelief they were broken off and thou standest by faith be not high-minded, but, but fear. The picture here is the Jews, through unbelief, are broken off of this vine, of this olive tree. And those with faith in Jesus Christ are grafted in. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. By faith. What do we do in such situations? We pray. We don't know the hearts 
of the visible church. God does. We don't know even the hearts of all of our children. We need to pray for their salvation. We don't, don't, don't presume anything. No, we treat them as Christians. We, we don't try to judge their motives or anything else like that. We, we encourage them. But pray. Perhaps your children are growing up and they're out in the world. Continue to pray. You have taught them the gospel. That seed is there. Perhaps the Lord will regenerate their heart and bring them wonderfully to salvation. But the Lord does this in the midst of time. We must not think that all in the visible church are truly converted. It says in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Now I know sincere believers will read this and despair when they read this. This is not for the sincere believer. It is for the person, yes, they say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But look at what they're trusting in. Have you seen all the amazing things I've done? Beware of trusting in your own works. Beware of getting joy from your own works. We need to get joy from the Lord. Jesus will say to them who boast in their own works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Jesus said, I never knew you. Not that I once knew you. And Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Returning to our text, verse 5. Behold, when it is whole, was it not meat for no work? How much less shall it be meat yet for any work, when the fire hath devoured it, and it is burned? That brings us on to our fourth point, pursued. Pursued. It is not just the person who flees God, but God also pursues the person. We see this in verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, As the vine tree among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so will I give the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will set my face against them. And they shall go out from one fire, and another fire shall devour them. And ye shall know that I am the Lord, and I have set my face against them. There is no escaping God. There's no escaping the judgment of God. It's not just simply that God is omnipresent, but God actively pursues in judgment those who will flee away from him. It's not just that the sinner is against God. It is also that God is against the sinner. So often we can forget that God's holy and righteous wrath, it's just, it's righteous, it is holy. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this has been paid. But we must never think that we can escape God. We must never think that we can escape his wrath and his judgment and his law. Where can we go to avoid it? We will go from one fire to another. 
but another will consume. Now, when we're talking to people, dear neighbors we talk to, blind to their sin, blind to their dependency on God. You see, even the unbeliever depends on God without really acknowledging or realizing it, thinks they can escape. In one sense, it makes no sense because there is no escaping. But the unbeliever needs to have eyes to see and ears to hear before they will understand. How can you escape from the all-knowing, all-powerful, and omnipresent God? Can you drive to a place where he cannot be found? Not at all. If you went to Mars, if you could somehow go to the center of the sun, you cannot escape God. You cannot avoid him. Even as believers, sometimes we can act as believers there can be some area in our life that we, we think we're hiding something from God. Maybe, a, maybe an area of sin. God sees not only that, but also our hearts. Also our hearts. And in times like that, we can act like atheists, thinking that God cannot see us. But friends, there is no escaping God. But what about our neighbors? Let's think about the love that we ought to have for our neighbors. It is hard, isn't it, to witness. We get that initial nervousness when we're talking to people. But we must not think our neighbor outside of Christ can escape God. See, sometimes we, yes, we realize we can't escape God. And we've trusted in Jesus Christ and we've been set free. But our neighbors, who we come across every day, that person you see in work, they, can they escape God? They think they can. I will set my face against them. They shall go out from one fire, and another fire shall devour them. At that time, this was speaking to the professing visible church on earth. The church that had the warnings for many years, through various different prophets, and they would not listen. And they thought, as the visible church on earth, as Israel, the visible Israel, that they could escape one judgment. They would seek for help in all the wrong places. They would go to Egypt. They would, they would seek for all the wrong help. Because they thought that they could escape God. The wrath of God. Now, the wonderful thing, dear friends, for us is it has been paid. That's our final point. Paid. Number five, paid. So we've looked at it's pictured, to picture this, this error. The power is from God. It's pruned believers sometimes in this world. God pursues actively the sinner in judgment in this world and the world to come. And finally, number five, paid. There is a debt for sin. And we see this debt for sin in, in verse number 8. Verse number 8 of Ezekiel chapter 15. And I will make the land desolate. Because they have committed a trespass, saith the Lord. There is a payment due. When sin is done, there is a, a consequence. There is justice to be served. 
There is payment due for those who wish to escape and be independent from God. Independent from God. It was the mistake and the error and the sin that Adam and Eve committed 6,000 years ago. Now, what will happen to the land of blessings? When we look at this, this is before Jerusalem has been judged fully, uh, which happened later, almost 20 years after this. Jerusalem and its temple is still there. And God is telling them the land will be desolate. Now, we may miss how earth-shattering that is, because we may see pictures of Israel throughout the centuries. It was an arid desert for many years. Not so much these days. But I will make the land. What land? A land of milk and honey. A land that was a picture of heaven. A land that was supposed to be full of fruit and joy and wonderful things to give them a taste and see that the Lord is good. A land that was promised if they would follow the Lord Blessings would continue. Now we see plenty of examples throughout the Old Testament when famine came, but famine came through sin. This is pretty serious when this is against the specific land, a fruitful land, but it will embrace death, desolation. Why? Because it is the payment for sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus? Sorry, actually wrong verse. Uh, Verse 23. Romans 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Death. How many of you would like to work? And at the end of your work week, the amount it says... On that pay slip, it says death. That's what sin, that's what the wages of sin is. And the wages of sin were seen, warned against in Israel. It's a picture. It's a warning to them. Things are going bad as it is. Ezekiel's already in captivity. That's a pretty bad sign. But they didn't listen. They didn't listen. They still thought they could escape God. And through pictures and illustrations, do you see the pleading of God? Do you see the mercy of God? Do you see the, the stretched out arm of God to tell people, to tell sinners, to tell mere creatures, you are not able to do this by yourself. Sin brings desolation. And if you seek to live your own life independent of God, not without trusting in him, Oh, what will happen? There will be desolation in your own heart. Fruitless, without hope. But, dear friends, there is hope for the believer. Because this desolation, this death, that has been paid. Jesus took this. You see, this is the wonderful thing. When we look at a text that deals so much with the wrath of God, this is what Jesus paid. Jesus paid so much more than we realize because so often we can minimize our sin. Jesus paid it all. Paid in full. 
on the cross, taking the wrath of his Father, the just wrath against his people, all those who will look to Jesus, all those who will trust in him, all those who will lovingly embrace him, all those who say, we cannot pay this debt. You get the bill in the post. And, and your heart sinks. You see this huge number at the end of that bill. I can't pay this. I can't pay this. What will we do? Well, we have to sell the house or the panic. But this, friends, this bill is of infinite worth. It can't be paid by any mere creature. It must be paid by the Son of God. The one of infinite value. The one who drank down the wrath of God. And this is why he is so amazingly special. He died. Isn't that an amazing thing? Have you ever had a friend of yours who paid a huge debt for you? you know, maybe your debt's thousands. Maybe it's 10,000. And that friend of yours, without really thinking about it, immediately gives you that money. And tells you, you don't need to pay me back. Because they know you can't. They know you can never make that money back. But how many of those friends would say, take my life. Would give their life for you. This is the sweetness and the wonderful privilege that we have in Christ. We have a friend who died. You know, we, we have many friends in this world we will say, oh, that is such a good friend. And treasure those good friends. But you have the most wonderful friend in Jesus. When we see texts like this, and we'll make the land desolate because they have committed a trespass, he took that desolation. He took that punishment. He took that wrath. He took that infinite worth, that, that the death penalty that hangs over us all outside of Christ. But we're, we're in Christ. Oh, it's been paid. You see, they thought they could escape God. They, could, they thought they could escape his wrath. They thought they could escape his judgment. But what they needed to escape was the wrath of God. In Christ, there is a way to escape. There is a high tower, a place of protection to run to. You know, we see people in times of war, they flee. There's danger around. Well, there's danger for these people being written about here in Ezekiel's time. What do you do in times of war? You flee. You flee to a place of refuge. You flee to a place where there's protection and safety and comfort. They needed this. And we flee because the danger comes from our own sin. Our own sin. Friends, do not seek to run from God. Why would you? It is impossible. But our sin makes us foolish. May we be wise in Christ to trust in Christ, running to Christ. Why would you ever turn away from the one who willingly died for sinners? Why? Look to him, the great King of kings and the Lord of lords who died taking our desolation and freeing us from the penalty of sin. Amen.
Let us pray now before Almighty God. O Lord, our God, our Heavenly King, Father, help us to see, O God, that Thou art wonderful, omnipresent, O God. Help us to see, O Lord, our dependency upon Thee. Father, that we need Thy strength, that we have nothing without Thee. And Lord, may we honor and glorify Thy name in all that we do. Father, we thank you for thy Son, the Lord Jesus, who is the Christ. Though we all deserve this desolation, though we all deserve death, eternal death, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son, thine only begotten Son, has taken that death from us. Oh, Father, we rejoice in him who died for sinners. Bless us, we pray, although we do not deserve the least of thy mercies. Strengthen us, O God. Pardon, O God, our many sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please turn with me once more as we sing Psalm 78, Psalm 78, verses 38 to 41. Psalm number 78, singing verses 38 to 41 of Psalm 78. But full pity he forgave their sin them did not slay, nor stirred up all his wrath, but oft his anger turned away. <coughs> you see, dear friends, if we know Jesus, we have been pitied. He took pity upon us. He showed us mercy. He showed us kindness. He took away in his son what we deserve. For they that were but fading flesh to mind he did recall a wind that passeth away soon away and not returns at all. How often did they him provoke within the wilderness and in the desert did him grieve with their rebelliousness. And the more we see the blackness of our sin, the more we see the brightness of the stars that shine through, the more we see the wonderful radiance of the unsearchable riches of Christ, the more we see the mercy of him. Verse 41, Yea, turning back the tempted God and limits set upon him who is in the midst of Israel is the only holy one. Verses 38 to 41, in praise to God.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Just some intimations before um, we leave there. So um, the service is a worship next Lord's Day, 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. as normal. And the prayer meeting uh, next Thursday is the usual time of 7.30 p.m. taken by, the, uh, by Mr. Uh, Derek Gillis. Um, Doors communion season is this weekend, this service this evening um, at the usual time with evening fellowship service on Monday the 11th at 7.30. And just remind you as well about the seminary opening on the 12th of September. And that will take place in West Hill, uh, Free Church Continuing, uh, here on Tuesday, the 12th of September at 7.30 p.m. Uh, the principal will give an update on the work of the seminary, and Reverend Greg McDonald will give an address on the justice of God. Tea will be served afterwards. Um, prayer is also requested for Reverend and Mrs. Angus uh, Morrison, Ms. Mrs. Morrison was transferred last week from the Lawson Hospital in Galsby to Ragmore due to a deterioration in her health. Uh, and there's also a notice of a youth conference to be held next Saturday at Doors Church, um, Saturday the 16th of September 2023. And the, uh, the, uh, the time is from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. The speaker is the Reverend James McInnes. The title is Who is Jesus? And there's also some book forms, I think, in the vestibule table. Uh, on, also on the table are TBS magazines for September to December. And I also learned today um, I was pronouncing doors wrong, so please let me know if I've made any mistakes in any of the pronunciation. Um, I'd like to welcome you all and in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and pray that you had a blessed Lord's Day. Amen. <laughs>